Welcome fellow backpackers to the first in its kind, an episode of Where Next, a podcast that brings you a better understanding of the places we explore. I'm your host Jack Thompson from Backpackers Blueprint and today we're going to be taking on the wonderful country that is Mexico. We'll look at the origin stories of the mines in the south, discover the Aztec era and unearth the effects of the Spanish invasion before looking at festivals, traditional drinks and food and if we have time we'll probably go through music as well. By the end, hopefully we'll have a better understanding of what makes Mexico, Mexico, helping you guys explore with an additional layer of knowledge in your backpack. So whether you're on a quick trip, an elongated stay, stick with us for the next 20 minutes or so as we discover Mexico. Mexico is divided into 32 states, and we're going to start this journey by touching down in Cancun, in the state of Quintana Roo. If you imagine Mexico as something of a curved horn shape, with the point of the horn facing down and east, towards Portugal, across the Atlantic Ocean, then Quintana Roo would be the tip of the horn. On this Caribbean coast, you will find the Mesoamerican Barrier Reef System, the second largest coral reef system in the world. So naturally, it's a fantastic spot for holiday makers looking for some Caribbean sun. Cancun caters to this with massive hotel complexes for all-inclusive stay. And whilst this isn't the get-up of the backpacker or explorer, it allows the possibility to find a really well-priced flight to Cancun, making it a fantastic starting point for backpackers wanting to explore Mexico or pop over the southern border to Belize or Guatemala to take on what's called the Gringo Trail, a north-south epic trip starting in Mexico and working your way as far down south as you dare go. Just north of Quintana Roo is the state of the Yucatan. This state is regarded as the birthplace of the Maya civilization. The most famous of the landmarks in the Yucatan is one that you may have probably heard of, it's Chichen Itza, which we'll talk about a little bit more later in the podcast. I'm going to use BC and AD method for dating simply for use here, but the origin of the Mayan civilization began around 1800 BC and ran through to 250 AD. This is known as the pre-classic or formative period of the civilization and largely consisted of small villages. The Maya civilization was primarily concentrated in the southeastern regions of Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula, which includes present-day Chiapas and parts of Tabasco. It stretched down into modern-day Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, El Salvador and even Nicaragua, but I will cover all of these countries separately in different Wes Next podcasts. As the origin story of many towns and villages, agriculture allowed people to settle and here in Mexico it's no different. As a quick aside, during our origin stories you will probably hear me say agriculture allowed people to settle quite a lot because fundamentally agriculture did allow humans to go from being nomadic to being settlers and whilst it happened at different times for different societies the formation of society tends to revolve around agriculture with the variation in the story being when and where. Back to the Maya. The crops of choice were corn, beans, squash and cassava. As farmers became more efficient, 
the Maya managed to expand their presence in both the lowland regions, the eastern peninsulas, coastal areas we've been talking about, to the highlands, the southwest of Mexico, into areas such as Guatemala and the more mountainous regions. With food security, the Mayan society began to rise to prominence. This phase in time, being called the Classical Era, is dated from 250 AD to 900 AD. During this time, large cities were established, each with its own rulers, royal courts and territories. Prominent cities like Tikal, Calcamor, Copan, Palenque and Calicol had incredible feats of architecture constructed, constructed, constructed. Things like the Temple of the Inscriptions in Palenque in Mexico and the Temple of the Jaguar in Tikal, or the Giant Jaguar in Tikal even. The Maya towns were built from locally quarried materials like limestone and sandstone with sophisticated math to align buildings and central plazas to the winter and summer solstice. The tallest structures could reach up to 50 meters in height and took over well took hundreds of years to complete. The mines did have hierarchy which largely consisted of the elite, the commoners, ritual specialists and slaves or captives. We probably don't need to break these down too much further for you guys to understand who were doing the hard graph, but let's have a look at them anyway. The elite classes consisted of rulers and nobility, or the kings and lords. These elites lived in palaces and were responsible for governing cities and overseeing religious rituals. Priests, or ritual specialists, are also part of the elite and they played a vital role in religious ceremonies and rituals. They had specialist knowledge of calendars, astronomy and the gods. The priests were closely connected to the ruling elite and were something of a doctor to the people. These nobilities tend to live in palaces which were characterised by multi-room complexes, courtyards and ornate facades. If you do visit Palenque in Campeche in Mexico, then you'll be able to see a really well-preserved example of one of these palaces. After priests and ritual specialists, you'll find the commoners. The class of person which mainly were made up of farmers, craftspeople and merchants. And then finally we have the captives who were made to do all of the hard labour. Things like construction or agricultural fieldwork. The Maya developed a sophisticated hieroglyphic writing system and they produced intricate artwork including pottery, sculptures and beautiful murals. If you are visiting Mexico City and would like to see some incredible examples of this then visit the Museo Nacional de Anthropologia which houses wonderful examples of Maya and Aztec artistry. The building in itself is also a fantastic building. Alternatively, if you are following the coastline trail and are heading to Chetamal to visit to, to get to Belize, then there's a museum called the, Mayan, the Museum of Mayan Culture, which is another great stop to add to your itinerary before you go down through Belize and the other countries like Guatemala to really get a better understanding of the Maya. The Maya also developed several interlocking calendars, including the Zolkin, a 260-day sacred calendar, and the Harb, a 365-day solar calendar. These calendars were used for various purposes, including scheduling religious ceremonies, agricultural activities, and predicting, predicting celestial activities, which really shows 
just how intelligent the Mesoamerican people were. The Maya had extensive trade networks, with key items being salt, jade, obsidian, pottery and textiles, allowing cities and regions to flourish before the decline in 900 AD. With established cities, trading routes and agriculture, it may come as a surprise to find out that some cities hit a decline, becoming abandoned and effectively left to be reclaimed by the forest. So why did the Maya civilization begin to decline? Well, this is still up for a bit of speculation, but predictions generally around material depletion, war, political divide and disease are speculated speculated upon. However, this is not the case for all cities and while powerful kingdoms like Tikal, Kalkamal and Palenque had dominated the classical period, the post-classical period, which is 900 AD to 1500 AD, saw a rise in new centres of power like Chichen Itza. During this time, trade was still extensive with the Maya trading with other Mesoamerican cultures, including the Aztec, who were now beginning to appear from the north. Life in post-classic Mesoamerica would be ticking over just fine until the arrival of the Spanish conquistadors in the early 16th century, 1519 to be precise. The Spanish conquest, led by figures like Hernán Cortés and Francisco de Monterjo, arrived in the Yucatán Peninsula and began to fight for control across the broader Mesoamerican regions. This marked a significant turning point in the Maya history, leading to a suppression of the indigenous cultures, the destruction of native records, and it also led to the introduction of Christianity. Many Maya cities were abandoned and the population was decimated by diseases brought by the Spanish. But before we go into the Spanish invasion and its impact on Mexico, I'd like to take a little step back to understand the origins of the Mexica or the Aztecs. Mexica are extremely important in the history of Mexico. Our setting for this one will be Lake Texacoco, which you may know is the site of modern-day Mexico City. If we go back to imagine Mexico as that curved horn, Mexico City and Lake Texacoco would be about as centered point as a point can possibly be. So who were the Mexica? The Mexica were a small nomadic group that supposedly, although not certainly, came from the north, taking on life as most nomadic groups do through fishing, hunting and foraging. Central to the Mexica's nomadic journey was their devotion to their god Huetelopochtli. Now this really is interesting. The story goes that Huetelopochtli showed the elders an image of an eagle eating a snake on a cactus. The Mexica people supposedly stumbled across this event on the banks of Lake Texacoco, seeing it as a sign that they should settle here. They did. 
and Lake Texacoco would become the site of the incredible Tenochtitlan around the date of 1325. At the lake, the Mexica created ingenious artificial islands made up from mud, reeds and vegetation in the shallow waters. These were called chinampas. Chinampas provided fertile land for growing crops such as maize, beans, squash and chili peppers, which became dietary staples. In 1376 to 1395, Acama the first Aztec ruler, reigned over the city of Tenochtitlan. His reign marked the beginning of the Aztec dynasty. The Aztecs began to expand and formed a triple alliance in 1428, a military and political alliance with Texacoco and Tlacopan, which really pressed forward the expansion of the Aztec influence in the Valley of Mexico. The peak of Aztec power came in the late 15th century under rulers like Moctezuma and Oxayacatl before the arrival of the Spanish, as previously mentioned. In comparison to the Maya, the Aztec timeline is relatively short. So if you ever get asked the question, who came first, the Maya or the Aztec, you now know that the Maya long predated the Aztecs. One other important detail to mention here is Mexico's flag. You may be familiar with it. However, if not, then it's three equal vertical stripes of green, white and red, with an eagle in the middle standing on a cactus with, yep, you've guessed it, a snake in its beak. The three vertical stripes are the colours of Mexico's army and symbolise its independence from Spain. So what you're looking at when you look at the flag is a step back to the Mexicana, the Native American people, and the independence of the country from the Spaniards. It's a flag depicting origins and strength. Now there's a whole history behind the flag with a lot of variations taking place, but I'd need a separate podcast just to cover the flag, so I'm going to move swiftly on from that. Let's go back to the 15th century, where the Spanish have decided that they want to take over Mexico. The Spanish conquest of the Aztec Empire is also known as the conquest of Mexico and it brought expansion for the Aztec to a very sudden halt. Not only did war ensue but disease was also brought to the area that would prove devastating for the natives. I won't go into too much detail here but ultimately the Spanish would prevail over the Aztec Empire and Christianity was introduced as well as the Spanish language. As you move through this country, you will predominantly see Spanish architecture in in the largest of the cities. Think large central public plazas fronted with cathedrals, churches, or important public buildings. Beyond that, there were rectilinear streets with houses that fronted up to them, allowing for a square or rectangle style house with a courtyard to help keep it cool. Beyond the houses, you get the more urban sprawl to the less notable houses before eventually the countryside takes over. Unfortunately, the Spanish dismantled or destroyed some of the Maya and Aztec structures, 
were able to see this in the heart of Mexico City, where the red stone for the Sagrario Metropolitano was literally taken from the Templo Mejor de Mexico Tetichtelan, just 50 meters away from it. Here, you can see the remains of the red stone in the archaeological site. It's visible from the public plaza, so you don't need to go in if you don't want to, but it's a crazy and vast example of the Spanish invasion and therefore an incredibly rich part of human history. In areas like Cancun, you are not going to find this rich Spanish architecture. In the more modern towns like Cancun and Tulum, you're still going to find a church, but most of the surrounding infrastructure is going to be modern construction and modern planning. Think concrete and block with rendered block. Places like Tulum have become boho centres not through their beautiful architecture, but through the art and colourful murals that adorn the walls of these otherwise grey buildings. If you want to see some incredible murals, then make sure you check out our Mexico section on the Backpackers Blueprint website where you can also find day itineraries for Tulum. If you are looking for incredible architecture, then perhaps the best place to explore is Puebla, just south of Mexico City. Here, you'll find some of the most incredible examples of Baroque architecture on the planet. Baroque is known for its flamboyant biblical representation through architecture, art and sculpture and none on the planet are more impressive than the Capilla do Rosario in the Templo de Santo Domingo, which is one of the most elaborate chapels ever conceived by human. It's adorned with gold leaf and features intricate sculptures depicting scenes from the life of Christ and the Virgin Mary. The chapel's interior is covered with gilted stucco work and polychromatic decoration. Inside, you will find the Rosary Portico, an elaborately carved arch that frames the entrance to the chapel. So, whilst the Spanish invasion was tragic, it also brought some of the most detailed and delicate architecture ever created. That is, in some cases, infused with the, with the Aztec structures that preceded it, which is pretty cool. Let's go into some final major moments in time before we start to look at the cultural events in Mexico. Firstly, the independence from the Spanish for the first Mexican empire. Celebrated on the 16th of September each year, this date actually marks the start of the uprising of the Mexican people in 1810 by a Catholic priest known as Father Hidalgo. His revolt would fail, but it is his calling that marks the day of independence. It would not be until over a decade later, in 1821, that Mexico would become truly independent from the Spanish rule. This would ultimately be short-lived, as Guatemalan leaders would become disillusioned by the rule of Agustin del Iturbide, who was crowned Emperor of Mexico following independence. By 1823, just two years later, we would begin to see a border form, but I'll explain more about this in our second podcast on Guatemala. There are three final areas I would like to quickly cover. The first is the French intervention in Mexico, which dated between 1862 and 1867. 
This intervention was part of a larger context of the Second French Empire's attempts to establish a greater influence across the world. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because of the iconic day that you probably have heard of, Cinco de Mayo, otherwise known as the Battle of Puebla. This took place on the 5th of May, 1862, and it was a significant event during the French intervention. Mexican forces led by General Ignacio Zaragoza successfully defended the city of Puebla against the French forces. Now, this ultimately didn't prevent the occupation of Mexico, but it became a symbol of Mexican resistance, and that's why Cinco de Mayo is such a celebrated day of each year. French would continue to be put under pressure by both Mexico and the USA, withdrawing their troops in 1866. The second event is the US annexation of the Northern Territories of Mexico. This would see a huge area of half a million square miles, or 1.3 million square kilometers, being handed across in a treaty after an effective walkover of an invasion by North America. The areas of New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, California, Texas, and Western Colorado were acquired for, this is ridiculous, but $15 million. This changed the geographical map of USA and Mexico dramatically. You may have heard of the people of these areas referred to themselves as, for example, Texicans. And this is effectively because the border moved, but not much changed. So even though these people became part of the USA, their cultural heritage was very much more of an indigenous persons. The final moment in time to mention is the Mexican Revolution, which was a complex and multifaceted social, political and armed conflict that took place in Mexico between 1910 to 1920. Running up to the revolution, the presidency of Juan Porfirio Diaz would see mass social inequality, political repression and land concentration that favoured the elite. This inequality would result in an uprising in 1910 when Francisco Madero, a wealthy landowner, issued the Plan of San Luis Potosi, which called for the overthrow of Porfirio Diaz. From this point onwards, peasants, led by figures like Emiliano Zapata, demanded the redistribution of land from large landowners to the rural poor. Known as the Zapatistas, with the slogan Tierra y Libertad, Land and Liberty, the, this group became a symbol of agrarian struggles and in 1917, a new constitution was created, reforming land issues, labour rights and limiting foreign ownership of natural resources. The armed phase of the revolution officially ended in 1920. Alvaro Obregón emerged victorious and assumed the presidency. The revolutionary leaders attempted to establish stability and implement the principles outlined in the constitution. Part 2 
now we have a much better understanding of historical events that have made Mexico into what it is today, let's move on to festivals and explore a bit of culture from that wonderful country of Mexico. Did you know there are over 60 Mexican Native American groups that still speak indigenous languages today? Each year, there are dedicated festivals to celebrate the indigenous of Mexico. One of the most well-known festivals is held in Oaxaca City, Guelaguetza. Each year, it takes place in Oaxaca City in the month of July. The streets for Guelaguetza are filled with thousands upon thousands of people who come to enjoy the festival which focuses on history, art, music and culture of the indigenous, indigenous Oaxacans of Mexico. Oaxaca being the home of Mezcal, you can be sure of a festival that you will remember or maybe not if you get a little bit too indulgent. But if you do decide to check it out, make sure you've booked your accommodation well in advance because the prices are higher and the beds are hard to come by. If you're in or around Oaxaca, then don't miss it. But if you do miss it, then rest assured Oaxaca City is worth a, a visit anyway because it is a beautiful little gem of a city. The second festival is now infamous in a global phenomenon. The Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Celebrated from October the 31st to November the 2nd, the Dia de los Muertos is a time to honor and remember the deceased loved ones. Families create elaborate altars with offerings, visit cemeteries and participate in parades. The atmosphere is joyful and festive. It's really important. It's not seen as a time of mourning, but as a time to welcome back the spirits of the departed with open hearts and warm hospitality. The festival is a beautiful blend of indigenous traditions and Catholicism. If you want to be in the thick of this one, then Mexico City is definitely your spot. The central plaza in the historic center, the Zocalo, will be pumping with music, parades, food and drink. So now we've talked about spirits of the past, let's talk about spirits of the bottled variety. Yes, I did just make that pun and no, I am not going to apologize for it. Starting with mezcal, mezcal has origins that date back to the indigenous. It's a distilled alcoholic beverage and made specifically from the maguey agave plant. The word mezcal literally meaning oven cooked agave. The Spanish introduced the process of distillation to um, the Americas, which significantly influenced the production of mezcal. The distilled spirit became way more potent and various types of, of agave were utilized to create different flavors. Mezcal production has become closely associated with certain regions in Mexico, with Oaxaca being the most well-known and significant mezcal producing area. Traditional methods of mezcal production involve roasting the agave penis, or the hearts, in earthen pits lined with lava rocks and filled with wood and charcoal. To give a better image of this, if you imagine a cactus plant with long spiky leaves coming from a big ball in the center, 
the spiky cactus leaves would be removed and you'd be left with the ball, which is the peanut. This is then placed underground and roasted and the roasting imparts a distinct smoky flavour to the mezcal. The fermented juice is extracted from the cooked agave or peanuts and is then distilled, resulting in a spirit with a unique and diverse range of flavours. The leaves from the cactus can further be used for things like cosmetic products, but unbelievably there are even people using cactus as new textile materials, so we could all be wearing cactus t-shirts soon. Let's keep our eye on that one. You'll find small bars called mezcalerias, which serve predominantly mezcal, naturally. Mezcalerias often allow for things like try three for a certain price. Now, naturally, there are different price brackets depending on whether you go for a premium mezcal or the cheap side of things, but then there's everything in between. And your bartenders in these little bars tend to be very good at helping pair you with flavours you will enjoy. So make sure you speak to your bartender and it can be a little opportunity to practice a bit of Spanish as well. I feel like this is a bit where I need to say uh, drink responsibly, people, because this stuff really does pack a punch. It's served neat and sometimes with a traditional side of spiced insects. The Mexicans say you should simply kiss the mezcal making it last for a good amount of time so you can really taste the smoky and full-bodied flavors but if you've been kissing three cups of 40 percent proof alcohol then you will be feeling the effects i have done this myself and had a bit of a wobbly walk back to my dorm to have an afternoon nap after having a tasting session but it's a really worthwhile activity and you should definitely do it while you're in oaxaca Check out the Oaxaca section in our Mexico Backpackers Guide, actually, because I'll put some mezcalerias in the page, uh, some that I visited and some that I think are pretty cool. And you know what? I might even put together a podcast or a blog post on the production process of mezcal so you guys can see the process of how mezcal is made and the distillation process and um, how it gets from the farms to the glass in your hand. Anyway, right, so that's mezcal. Let's move on to tequila. Tequila has origins that are in the Jalisco region, which is north of Mexico City, northwest more precisely. And naturally, it comes from a town called Tequila. Tequila is made exclusively from blue agave, which is why it's different to mezcal. Tequila seems to have got itself more of a name as a bit of a party animal cocktail, whereas shots uh, or to be shotted and mixed in with cocktails, whereas mezcal is much more parallel to whiskies due to that those deeper smoky flavours that you're meant to taste and enjoy. I'm going to just plug two different podcasts here because... I've been listening to them myself and one is the Agave Road Trip which talks about all things to do with tequila and mezcal so it's really worth a listen if you enjoy that kind of or if you want to learn more about both both liqueurs um, and the other is the BBC Food Programme which did an episode in November of 2023 called Mezcal A Beginner's Guide and I recommend listening to both. So let's move on from Mezcal now 
and talk briefly about one of the most iconic aspects of Mexico, the taco. So just to understand this really quickly, the taco also has ancient origins that date back to the Mayan and Aztec periods. The Aztecs in particular are known to have consumed a flatbread called the Tlaxcay, which were made from maize and served with various fillings. This is effectively the earliest form of the tortilla and became a staple ingredient in the indigenous diet. The transformation of the taco into its modern form occurred during the Spanish colonial period in the 16th century. The indigenous people introduced the Spanish to the Tlaxcae and the Spaniards adapted the concept, creating a fusion of European and indigenous culinary traditions. The result was a folded or rolled tortilla filled with a variety of ingredients that resembled the tacos that we know today. The taco itself has become a vessel for creativity with regional variations on the fillings. And of course, the taco in Mexico are, are just absolutely delicious and even better still, they're not overly priced. So make sure you get your fill if you are traveling through Mexico. And another top tip, don't be scared of the street vendors. They're usually incredible and often the places to get the best food you will have in Mexico. So the final thing I want to really quickly explore before we go on to a summary um, is the music. You will have heard of mariachi music. And perhaps when you think of Mexico, one of the most iconic images we envisage, if we close our eyes, is a band of violins, trumpets and guitars, people dressed in traditional charros and serenading the public. However, mariachi is not the only music that Mexico has, and there are a lot of genres in the same vein as mariachi. One, for example, is ranchero. And this is from the rural parts of Mexico. It's perhaps the most iconic music for the Mexican people themselves. And it tends to tell stories of love, nature and the daily struggles of life. There is a subgenre from Ranchero called Bolero Ranchero, a romantic version of Ranchero music. And this often features emotional lyrics and is performed by artists with smooth and expressive vocal styles. Another is Son Carocho. This uses small guitars called Harana and Requinto, but it also incorporates the harp. And this music is usually performed with or for dances like the Fandango. There's Nortino, which has its roots in folk traditions. I would encourage you to check out Christian Nadal. Christian Nadal is a fantastic modern example of Nortino. He's clocked up 11 million subscribers on YouTube with songs like Adios Amor, which has over 1.4 billion, yes, billion plays. You can also find Nadal on Spotify. And the final bit of music I'd like to mention here is Corito. 
Corrido is a narrative song that tells a story. It's often about historical events, heroes or social issues. It has a long tradition in Mexican music and has evolved over time. Corritos can be accompanied by various musical styles including mariachi and nortino and Calibre 50 are a very good example of this sort of music. Again, they can be found on YouTube or Spotify. I'd encourage you guys, once you've listened to this of course, to go and check both out, especially if you've got a long bus journey or you're traveling to your next place. Download a few songs and have a listen and um, get it really dive deep into that Mexican culture. So to put a quick summary together, we can see that the history of Mexico is deeply complex. The roots of what make the country iconic can be traced back to the Mayans and the Aztecs, with staple foodstuffs coming from the Aztecs being transformed into the food we see today through influences from the Spanish and the French. The same can very much be said for the architecture. As you traverse this beautiful country, you can still see iconic sites like Chichen Itza today, which can be explored, but they're never far away from the Spanish Baroque architecture, which in some cases even uses the materials from the Aztecs that pre preceded them. The major cities that we see today, like Oaxaca City, Mexico City, or San Cristobal de las Casas, largely use principles of Spanish city planning. Long linear roads with religious buildings near the center points of grand plazas. Around these plazas, you will find the political buildings for the more elite classes, but today they're infused with smaller eateries and bars. The iconic food and drinks in Mexico can always be found near a Mexican city plaza, and you can bet your bottom dollar that you'll also be able to hear the traditional tones of the music not too far away. Beyond this, the courtyard-style housing sprawl outwards from city centres before the rural landscape of Mexico takes over. The country has rolling fields, beautiful mountainous regions, desert landscapes, and even stunning beaches for you to explore. The people are friendly, welcoming, and upbeat. It's really a place that will capture your heart, and it won't break your wallet. So if you are thinking about going, then make sure you do. And if you're already there, then I hope you have an incredible time. Next time, we're going to hop over the southern border to explore Guatemala. We'll hear about the formation of the Federal Republic of Central America in 1823 that included the modern day countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua and Costa Rica before exploring Guatemala further and finding out what makes it a really spectacular country to visit. Until then, look after your fellow backpackers and explorers and we'll speak to you soon. One final thing, if you've learned anything today, or enjoyed the podcast and please be sure to share it with your friends and please be sure to subscribe. Check out our website at Backpackers Blueprint where you can find additional information about everything you've heard today and see our journey through Central and South America.